Jeremiah 29 as we continue our journey through the Old Testament. And as we all know, currently in chapter 29. And the title is Jeremiah's Letters of Advice. Jeremiah's Letters of Advice. And they were to those that were in captivity. This chapter is made up of several different letters written by Jeremiah. One, uh, the letter from Jeremiah was to the exiles. And verses 1 through 14 covers that letter. The second letter is about Jewish false prophets in Babylon, to which Jeremiah replied in verses 15 through 23. The third letter was a letter from Jeremiah to the temple priests about Jeremiah, which he read in verses 24 through 29, and then a letter from Jeremiah to the exiles about Jeremiah in verses 30 through 32. Now, writing letters like this, you know, you think in that time and, and that, you know, they didn't, you know, have, you know, Mary, uh, mail carrying systems like we have today. But writing letters like this wasn't that hard to keep up in those days because there were regular messengers between Jerusalem and Babylon who were skilled in handling political affairs without, you know, stirring up hostility between the nations. And Jeremiah had friends in high places in the government. So let's look now at chapter 29 with verses 1 and 2 where he's writing now to the exiles. Verses 1 and 2. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now this happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the saints and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. So in the first siege of Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar took a lot of captives. He took Jeconiah, the king, he took the queen, and he took several of the officials, the princes. A siege is a military operation where enemy forces would surround a town or a building, and they'd cut off the essential supplies, and it would cause those who were surrounded to surrender. Now, among those princes that were taken hostage to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar was Daniel. So this chapter was addressed to Daniel, who no doubt heard it and read it when it was sent from Jeremiah to Babylon. So sometime after their exile, Jeremiah sent the letter to the exiles in Babylon, and he was telling them how to conduct themselves in their new land. Now that they're in captivity, they're going to be in a new government, and they're in a new land, new surrounding, everything was being new to them. So Jeremiah is writing to them how to conduct them, how to live in this new land. Now see, Jeremiah had a true shepherd's heart. He wanted to advise the people. He wanted to encourage them in their new life in Babylon. Because you see, they were used to being governed by special laws about clean and unclean things. The Jewish people would have a hard time adjusting to this pagan society. But Jeremiah wanted them to be good witnesses to the heathen Babylonians. And he also wanted them to, to be good Jews, even though they were separated from their temple and its worship services. So he addressed himself to the needs of three <clears throat> kinds of people. <clears throat> Look at verse 3 now. And he goes on to say, The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, 
the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying. So the letter was from Jeremiah to those who were taken captive in Babylon, who were taken at the time of Jeconiah. And it was sent by these two men, Elasa and Gemariah. And they were being sent as ambassadors from King Zedekiah to King Nebuchadnezzar. So Jeremiah gave the letter to Elasa, Gemariah, and he said, Give it to the captives when you get there. Now in verses 4 through 6, the first people that Jeremiah addressed were those people with no hope. Look at verses 4 and 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. So Jeremiah is telling these people there who felt being captives now in a foreign land under a strange government, a whole new system of living, a whole new way of living. He tells them, you guys settle down in Babylon because you're not leaving there soon. He tells them, plan for your future there. Get married, establish homes because you're going to be there for a long time. The exiles or the captives there, they had lost everything but their lives and what few possessions that they could take along with them to Babylon. They'd lost their freedom and they were now captives in a new land by a new government. They'd been taken from their homes. They had lost their way of making a living. They were separated from their relatives and their friends. They were separated from everything that was familiar to them. Some of them may have even died in the long march from Jerusalem to Babylon. No matter how they looked at it, the situation seemed hopeless. Now, how should we handle a depressing and hopeless situation? Well, James in his letter, you know, encourages us in James 1.3, he said to consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. In other words, accept it from the hand of God with joy, whatever you're going through. Because notice what he said in verse 4 to the people. I have caused it. Think of that. You're in, in this new land under a new government, away from all that's familiar to you, family and friends. He says, And I've caused you to be there. And the best thing we can do is to accept that from the hand of God. Because he's put me in whatever position I'm there. And then let God have his way. You know, he doesn't do that to to bring us down, though it might, if we don't have the right attitude. Because when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't try to wiggle your way out of a problem or problems. Leave God alone and let him do what his purpose is of having you in that situation. Because when your patience is finally at full bloom, then you're going to be ready for anything. You're going to be strong in character. You're going to be full and you're going to complete. 
that place where God has you. It doesn't do us any good to complain. It doesn't do any, any good to cry, even though this may be, again, a normal reaction to any tragedy at the time. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4. We sat beside, and I'm going to read it from New Living Translation. He said, we sat beside the rivers of Babylon and wept as we thought about Jerusalem. We put away our harps. We hung them on the branches of poplar trees. Yet our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors, our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem, they said. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? So here they are, captivity, thinking about Jerusalem, thinking about home. They're weeping as they think about home. They took their harps with them. They took their, 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 their instruments that they used to you know, play their worship songs with. They took them with them, but they hung them up on branches in the trees. They, they didn't want to play them anymore. They were in a foreign land. They didn't have any joy. And yet he says, they're saying, well, our captors, you know, they, they demanded a song from us. They want us to sing them a song. Our tormentors. They insisted on us singing a joyful hymn, but we're not joyful. We're in a foreign land under this foreign government. We're away from home, you know, and, and they said, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. You know, they don't want to sing to these, their, their enemies, these captors who, who now have them in captivity. You know, they don't want to cast their pearls before the swine. They said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a pagan land? Now think about this. They may have been wrong in doing this. Because praising God is never out of season. There's never a time when we shouldn't be praising God. It is His will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, It's His will that we should give thanks in everything. In everything, not for every, not necessarily, we're not sadists, we're not masochists, you know, we, it's not because we're enjoying what we're going through, but you know, I have joy because God has, has, has placed me here for some reason. And if I look long and hard enough at the whole situation, I can find things to thank God for. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 5, says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. You see, the psalmist began to ask himself, he began to look inside him and says, why am I bummed out? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? He says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. A lot of times we have to look inward and say, why am I feeling the way I am? My hope is in God. And therefore, when I realize my hope is in God, man, I'm going to praise Him. It will bring me out of that doom and gloom. It will bring me out of that depression. Psalm 34, 1 and 2, the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord knows at all times. At all times. Not sometimes. Not when things are just going well, which is easy to bless the Lord. It's easy to praise him when everything is just, just fine. But he said, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. 
Now, God had chosen Israel and separated Israel and taught and trained Israel so that the people might become messengers to the nations about them, that they might, might be messengers to the nations about the greatness and the goodness of God. They were to be a light around their neighbors. What a perfect chance that these who we just talked about in, in the psalm who said, oh, we're in this foreign land and they hung their harps in the trees and we can't sing any joyful songs and, and because we're, in a captive, we're captives and we're in a foreign land. But what a perfect chance for them to sing the Lord's songs being in that captive land, being a witness to those people, those pagan people. To witness to them, all those about the love and saving power of their God. Just think if they had taken down their harps and sang maybe, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He he, he leads me beside peaceful streams. Psalm 23. Maybe they could have sang another song that we sing. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. One of the first steps in not becoming a victim of your circumstances is becoming a victor. Is to accept the situation that you're in and not be afraid of it and put yourself into God's loving hands. God makes no mistakes. He says, I want you to learn that when temptations attack you and the enemy comes in like a flood, that this thing is from me. Are you in difficult circumstances tonight? God says to you, this thing is from me. I'm the God of circumstances. Wherever you are, you didn't come to that place by accident. There are no accidents with God. Think about that. You are exactly, God says, you are exactly where I meant for you to be. The pain, the worry, the stress, it will go away as soon as you learn to see me in all things. One of the definitions of accident is an unforeseen and unhappened event or circumstance. Unforeseen and unplanned. Well, first of all, God knows all things. So unforeseen unforeseen things... That does not exist with God. He doesn't say, whoops, how did that happen? I just didn't see that coming to my my child. Or an unplanned event. Same thing. He said here, notice in verse 4, I have caused you to be carried away. Underline that. I'm the one, I am the reason for the situation that you're in. I'm the one, I'm the one who's caused you to be here. I'm the one who's the cause of your captivity. I'm the cause of your circumstances. 1 Kings 12, 24. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. The reason they were going to go fight against their brethren because there was some difficulty between them, but God says, no, 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 don't go fight your brethren. He says, What's happening is, is because I've brought it on. I've, I, this thing is for me. Go home. Ecclesiastes 7.14, great verse. Consider the work of God. <clears throat> for, who, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? 
Listen, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Like I said a while ago, that's easy. I can, I can be joyful in the day of prosperity. I can be joyful when things are going good. But he says, but in the day of adversity, consider this. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. God has appointed the day of prosperity and God has appointed the day of adversity. Appointed, ordained, planned it out. Remember that. So that when you go through those difficult times, you'll remember this verse says, God has appointed this. And then verses 6 through 9, he, he talks to the second group of people, those with false hopes. Look at verse 6 through 9 now. He said, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased, be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, for God of Israel, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name, and I have not sent them, says the Lord." The false prophets had convinced the people they were only going to be in Babylon for a little while. He said, maybe a couple of years. You know, the false prophets were saying, so, hey, don't settle down there. I know Jeremiah said to settle down and raise family and, and establish homes, but don't settle down there. Don't try to carry on a normal life because Jeremiah, but Jeremiah had told them the opposite because they were going to be there for 70 years, according to verse 10. We saw that in the last chapter. So because they were going to be there for 70 years, there was plenty of time for them to build houses and establish homes and raise a family. And it was important that those who were exiled, those who were in captivity, it was important that they have families so that there would be people available to return to Judea when their captivity was over at the end of those 70 years. This small Jewish remnant was the future of God's great plan of salvation, where Christ would be born. And they needed to obey uh, the Lord, and they needed to marry and have children. Verse 6 says that, and then find spouses for your sons and daughters so that you may have many grandchildren. He's told them, multiply, don't be diminished. In other words, don't dwindle away. It would be easy for the Jews to always be fighting with their idolatrous Gentile pagan captors. But Jeremiah instructed them, do all that you possibly can without compromising your faith to get along with the Babylonians. Be a good witness. The exiles were to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And they were to pray sincerely for their enemies. And it was possible to be good Jews even in a pagan land. Remember last week in chapter 28... Jeremiah said, if we reject the wooden yoke of submission, we are going to end up wearing an iron yoke of defeat. So the best thing to do is to submit to the Lord and those who are over us, no matter how badly they treat us. You see, that totally goes against our nature. We want to rebel. We want to get even with those who badly treat us. Listen to Peter's counsel to Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, and I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. He says, You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, 
Not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. Because God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Because God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Here's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. No matter what happens, we are to turn our situation over to God. To believe in false hopes and to struggle and fight against God's will is to miss what God has planned for us. And then in verses 10 through 14, he speaks to the third group of people, those who have true hope. Look at verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years, notice, thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. The false prophets, oh, you're only going to be here a couple of years. The Lord said to Jeremiah, they're going to be there for 70 years. Verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray, for, pray, pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you, caused you to be carried away. God tells them the exact number of years they're going to be in captivity. He said, after 70 years, I will bring you back into the land. And then he assures them that he hasn't abandoned them, but he will bring them back to their homeland. And you see, true hope is based on the revealed word of God. Our hope is in what God's word says. Not on false messages from false prophets. God gave his people a gracious promise there in verse 10. He promised to deliver them and he would keep his promise. You see, God makes his plans for his people and they're good plans. And then his time, he's going to bring peace and he's going to bring hope. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be discouraged about God's plans. And notice what he says, my thoughts for you are of hope and the future. My thoughts are to bring you back into this land. My thoughts are to establish you again here. I know my thoughts, he says, and they're not evil thoughts. They're thoughts of peace. God is concerned about your peace. He says, I'm concerned about how you end up, that you come back and that you serve me here in the land. God never thinks of you in terms of evil, but always in terms of what's good for you. And he's always concerned about the end result. God is always concerned with the eternal benefit for us. And as far as God is concerned, the most important thing for every one of us is that we spend eternity with him. And what he expects in the end is that you spend eternity with him. God is always working in our life on our behalf with eternity in view. 
Everything that happens in your life and my life is to work towards that goal. But you see, we don't think long-term. We're very short-sighted. We're always thinking of now, my happiness now, my comfort now, my well-being now. Everything is now. I'm in an uncomfortable situation now, and I'm squirming, and I'm fussing, and I'm saying, God, get me out of this if you really love me. God, can't you see what's happening to me? Can't you see what this thing is doing to me? I don't like it here. I don't like this. And many times we're complaining about these very things that God is using to mold us and to shape us for eternity. So many times we're fussing and complaining about where God has us. And and I'm I'm not saying that it's a comfortable place or a convenient place because it is hard. There are places that are very difficult to be. And sometimes we think the Lord has forgotten us. Or maybe he's angry with us. Look, because look what's happening to me. Lord, this is too much for me. Please stop. And yet Paul says that he will not allow the temptation, whatever we're going through, to be more than we can handle. He says when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, if it's a chastening. And the chastening processes are always for our benefit, for our good. And that's why the scriptures exhort us not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Because we're likely to do that. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Hebrews twelve six. When we get a spanking from God, it's not pleasant. It's not comfortable. But at least it proves we're his son or we're his daughter. See, you don't spank your neighbor's son. You don't spank a stranger's son. You spank your own. You spank your own children. So when God sees it's necessary to spank us, hey, it proves I'm his kid. He doesn't chasten those that aren't his children. He punishes them. There's a difference. But the chastening is a correction process. But in every situation, God's people have the responsibility to seek the Lord, to pray, and to ask Him to fulfill His promises. Because the Word of God and prayer go together. The purpose of chasing is so that we might see the Lord, confess our sins, and draw near to Him. And according to verse 14 here, these promises weren't just for the Jews that were captive in Babylon, but for all Israel throughout the world. You see, Jeremiah was looking ahead to the end of the age when Israel would be regathered to meet their Messiah and enter the kingdom. He said in verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God knows everything that he's going to do. And God knows all of his thoughts. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Acts 15, 18. Known to God from eternity, he knows all of his works. He knows his thoughts. He knows what he's going to do. And his works agree exactly with his thoughts. He does everything according to the counsel of his will. Now, we often don't know our own thoughts, nor our own mind. But God is never at any time unsure of himself. Oh, man, what am I going to do? Sometimes we're afraid that God's purposes for us are 
our, it seemed to be against us. But he knows when it comes to his own people, he knows what we need. And he says here in verse 11, his thoughts are of good and not of evil. Though it may feel evil, even when it seems like evil, his thoughts are, are of good. Evil, you know, it, whatever we go through, it's designed for our good, for our benefit. Remember, with eternity in mind. His thoughts are all working towards his will in the end, which he will accomplish in his time. What they expect to happen in the end will come to pass. It may just not happen when we expect it. Fruit isn't good until it's ripe. We need to be patient. We need to wait until it's ripe. Then we can enjoy the sweetness of the fruit. Psalm 33:11, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. But you see, his plans are forever. They can never be shaken. But we have to be prepared to wait on God's timing. His timing is precise. It is right on the button because he does things at the very time he has set for it. And you know what? It's not for us to know the timing, his timing. We need to wait for it. In Acts chapter 1, remember when Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father? He said, which would be many days from now. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember what Jesus said to him, to said to the apostles, the disciples? The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. It's not for you and I to know the seasons, the times and the seasons. If God would have told Abraham he'd have to wait 30 years for his son Isaac, you know, before God's promise was fulfilled and before you know, Abraham held little Isaac in his arms, he might have bummed out and just said, hey, forget it. So God in his love didn't tell Abraham how long he'd have to wait. And as the time got closer for Sarah to have the son of promise, God told Abraham, in Genesis 18, 14, at the appointed time, I will return to you, Abraham, at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And the appointed time came the following year, and Isaac, which means laughter, brought joy, was born after their long, you know, tiring wait. So we have to be patient when God says wait. And, and you know what? He won't disappoint you. He'll never, ever be one minute behind schedule. And then verses 15 through 23, there's, it's a letter to, to the Jewish false prophets. Look at verses 15 through 23 now. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They're so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. And I will deliver them to trouble <clears throat> among all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse and astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my prophets, my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, 
neither would you heed, says the word, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab and the son Coliah and Zedekiah and the son of Messiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon roasted in the fire because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. Notice, he says, I'm a witness. I've seen everything. The false prophets in Babylon were giving false hope to the people about Jerusalem and and Judah. And and Jeremiah got, he found out about it, that the false prophets were giving the people false hope. King Zedekiah was still on the throne at that time, and there were Jews still living in Jerusalem. But this was no guarantee that the city and the nation would be delivered. The people still in the land, it says in verse 17, uh, 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 in chapter 24, they were still, they were rotten figs that would be thrown out. The important thing wasn't what happened to the people in the land, but what the exiles would do with the word of God. If they obeyed God, he'd work out his purposes for them and he'd bless them. Jeremiah named two of the false prophets, Ahab and Zedekiah there in verse 21. They not only preached lives of the people, but also lived godless lives. And as a result, Jeremiah announced their doom in Babylon. Their names would become, you know, proverbs in Israel. A warning not to rebel against the word of God. And then verses 24 through 32, a letter from Shemaiah. Look at verse 24 through 32. You shall also speak to Shemaiah the Nelamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented or insane and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison, a prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent us in, uh, for he has sent a, a sent to us in Babylon, saying, "This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat their fruit." Now, Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nelamite, Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nelamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among his people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. This warning was in response to Shemaiah, the letter from Shemaiah, another false prophet in Babylon, who wrote letters to the people in Jerusalem, and he said, I'm writing to you in the name of the Lord. I'm speaking on behalf of God. 
urging them to imprison Jeremiah because he was a madman, demented. The chief temple officer, Zephaniah, let Jeremiah read the letter because Shemaiah had a following in Babylon. Jeremiah warned the exiles that the man was a rebel against God and the Lord had neither sent him nor gave him a message. So Shemaiah would be judged for his sins in dying childless in Babylon never to see his native land again. There in verse 32. So in closing, what life does to us has a lot to do with what we do in life. The choices that we make. If we seek the Lord and we want His best, then circumstances, whatever God allows in life, they will shape us. And they will prepare us for what God has planned. But if we rebel or we look for quick and easy shortcuts, then those circumstances will destroy us and they'll rob us of the future and of the hope that God wants us to enjoy. Remember, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. God's thoughts and his plans concerning us come from his heart. And we have to remember that. God's thoughts and plans concerning us comes from his heart and, they, and lead, us, lead us to his peace. So why look for something else? God's greatest concern for you is in his heart. Therefore, he'll never lead you in the wrong direction. He'll never do anything evil. His thoughts of you are for good and not evil that you might have a hope in the future. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful chapter, Lord. We thank you for its significance. We thank you for what it teaches us, Lord. And help us to remember, God, that all things are appointed by God. Whether it's a day of prosperity or a day of adversity. And Lord, let us submit to the will of God, to the wisdom of God, to the plan of God, to the heart of God for whatever he has concerning me that I might rejoice in Christ knowing he is with me in whatever my circumstances might be. Lord, bless your people and and help us to go every day knowing this, God, remembering this, so that when we go through those difficult times, I will remember, hey, God has a hope and a future for me. And however he, he desires to get me to that place, help me to submit, God, and to see God in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.